In 1874, the British government passed a series of laws called the Regulation of Public Worship. A lot of people cared an awful lot about church back then. True. On one side, people wanted more ritual and ceremony. On the other side, they wanted mostly none. In the midst of the battle, one minister, a rector in London at a church called St. George in the East, had stopped a practice whereby people who volunteered in church services could avail themselves of liquor from the rector's cupboard before and after the service. The Reverend King closed the cupboard. We have opened it again. Welcome to the rector's cupboard. Order. So there is this recent expression of a different understanding of Christian faith that I think is interesting. And I'm mentioning this not to go to the politics of it. Okay. <laughs> we wouldn't ever wish to get political. It Do we have to in, promise we won't go that way? It is in the United <laughs> States of America. Just, just you, happening. Todd, are you not being political? I'm not being political. Can which we is be political? political? Well, sure. Well, anyway, in the United States of America, there is a new speaker of the house. Indeed there is. is there? His name is Mike Johnson. He's Republican. And he has particular views that many people count as extreme, particularly around social issues. Um, he's aligned with uh, Donald Trump and the rest. And again, not to be political, just describing where he comes from. And he, some of these views that many people now in, in our society count as more extreme, not all, some of them think those views nope. are, uh, are around issues of human sexuality um, and other matters that sometimes get, you know, aligned with this thing, abortion, whatever. When he was talking about this recently, of course, people started kind of going at him a little bit, and then he went on a friendly um, news outlet to talk about this. So they kind of softballed him a question saying, explain to us these views because people are really upset at you. You know, what are your views? And they're kind of giving him that runway to say, no, I'm a wonderful <laughs> person, and I have fantastic views, and I love everybody. However... Which he kind of did, I guess, to some degree, but what he, what he actually said as well was, was if you want to know my views on these issues, just open the Bible because <laughs> my views are biblical. At the same so time, many problems at the same sentence. time in, in the same country, um, around the same time, there, there's the labor movement has been picking up steam for various mm. reasons, mm -hmm. um, socioeconomic and other things. And I think it was the United Auto Workers, these three uh, working for three different auto workers, but the union and they had a labor action and, and one of the leaders of, of that union um, says that he's Christian. So does Mike Johnson say that he's Christian, but these two are very different politically. So their views on many of these issues, I'm not, I'm sure not all, but on many of these issues would be quite different. And that man is named Sean Fain. And, and interestingly, in a number of news outlets picked this up, he quoted the Bible fairly consistently in his defense of workers and you know different labor practices mm -hmm. and paying well and taking care of workers and this kind of thing a little bit in the tradition of martin luther king jr who actually obviously was about civil rights around race mm -hmm. but a lot of martin luther king jr's work including why he was where he was when he got killed was around the rights of workers actually mm -hmm. yeah. some of that connected yeah. to race but was aligned with the labor movement and the rest and so the reason i bring up mike johnson and sean fain is in regards to our episode for today, we're going to be speaking with Ross Lockhart from Vancouver here right. around this, this kind of how could both of th these very different views of Christian, what it means to be Christian. Um, and in, 
in our recent experience, both like in our own families, friend, you know, friend groups, whatever, we've seen people who've been part of one kind of way of understanding Christian faith, let's say evangelical, like that way of understanding, and they find themselves now in that very mm-hmm. different part of Christian faith. Uh, and we just think it's something interesting to talk about because there can be all kinds of issues around that. Uh, what friends and family think about that if you feel like you know you're not christian you know is this really christian this church i'm going to or these kinds of things and so i thought just ask you guys like have you experienced any of this have you seen any of this have you in your own experience like you used to identify with this way of thinking about christian faith and now you see it differently um what do you think i mean i i think about it sometimes having grown up in the Presbyterian church, which wasn't really a traditional Presbyterian church. So and Presbyterian church. Did you church, know that at the time when you were in it? Not, re- no. Okay. You were young. I was, yeah. The Presbyterian church in Canada is traditionally not thought of as an evangelical church, at least Correct. as long as the lines are, are drawn now. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're definitely Christian church, but part of what's called mainline tradition. We'll talk to Ross about that. So you grew up in this Presbyterian church that is a little more, and I want to be careful with these words, but a little more conservative maybe than some others, a little more evangelical, but still Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. Yeah. Uh, and so I think about that every now and then where I came from, and now here I am working at an evangelical church. Um, <laughs> more than more than half time. <laughs> A church that has an evangelical background. Yeah, however... But has also broken those lines. They have. They've cracked some barriers. It's an affirming church. They're an evangelical church that's With affirming. With a female pastor. Yeah. Female pastor and affirming on issues of homo- human sexuality. Human sexuality. Homo- yeah. Human sexuality, where they'll say at the beginning of each service, no matter who you love, no matter you're welcome here. Yeah. So people can be in leadership. Well, and an be- evangelical church that has made... Um, clear decisions to have conversations around interfaith dialogues and Mm -hmm. indigenous uh, reconciliation. Like there's a lot of ways in which this, this church has kind of gone not as I have experienced. So some evangelical churches would say, well, that's not evangelical anymore then. Yeah. Or maybe, or not Christian. I don't know. Um, Probably because, yeah. you know, if we want to go back to the speaker of the house, like the Bible says, um, it's just, it, that is an interesting way of reading scripture. It's and sure. Of course, is. No, I mean, I, as a, th- to think that your as views a theological are student, I would say, I feel pretty confident that expressing my opinion that that is an incorrect way of reading scripture. Like right. to say like, First of all, that the Bible is very clear on stuff. There's right. there's a whole bunch of things that that's just simply for not example, marriage. Uh, yeah, is it polygamy? Is it um, ownership? Yep. You know what's the proper price for me uh, if my husband dies? Thank goodness I have children, so that my brother-in-law's in isn't obligated to impregnate me to give my dead husband an heir. That's biblical. Like, there's a lot of ways in which I don't wish to subscribe to biblical understandings of marriage that are described in the Bible. I just don't think that that's what the Bible's for <laughs> is to Right. So you would that. say his his want to be There's well the other thing is to him, but his mistake potentially is thinking that his views are all Yes. I mean scripturally backed. So he's been yeah. taught a certain way. Well, yes. Preachers clearly. have said this from the Bible for him and mm-hmm. then he's and then he says that's what the Bible says. Yes. As I've experienced kind of my assumption of his perspective. Like, I'll, I'll be careful to say, like, I, I do not know Mike Johnson personally. Um, but as I've experienced other people who have used that same sort of rhetoric um, and who I think would probably align theologically with him, 
one of the things, like it would have been where I grew up, which would have been a conservative Baptist church um, that did profess that they understood the correct way to read the Bible, interpret the Bible. Um, But there was also very much this assumption that you could have, quote unquote, like plain text reading without... Like the one meaning of the text. Yes. And so that you didn't need... So what that means is that you don't have to open yourself up to other interpretations of the text because you know it. But somebody but at that point is telling you. Like there's they a are, but authority. one of the fallacies with that is that there, as readers of, of Scripture, we are always coming to Scripture with our own filters, with our own lenses, which inevitably produce an interpretation of the text. Um, and so, and the fact that we're not even reading them in the original languages means that somebody else has already put an interpretive lens over the text to put it into English. And there are interpretive choices, which is why we have different translations. And there are ways in which that is seemingly not as significant, but other passages where those interpretive choices actually make some big differences. So, and so yeah. like there's part where when you say, well, just open the Bible and you'll know what I, what I believe it's not that black and white as I have ever right, encountered Right, because the you Bible. believe on some issues, I'm sure, very differently than Sean Fain. And yet he is opening the Bible mm-hmm. and yes. quoting scripture yeah. in, in regards to this battle over, you know, labor rights and such. That, so, like, and I'm not trying to say that, like, Mike Johnson is somehow being nefarious in his interpretation. I don't know him. Um, I can say that for myself... I had really sincerely held beliefs that like as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, that I no longer believe. And I sincerely do not believe them anymore. And I believe something very different. And I don't think that one understanding was me lying and one understanding is me not. Like there's just been, there's been a development of understanding. And so I don't wish to say that Mike Johnson is, even if I disagree with him, entirely wrong or trying to mislead people i think no. it can be a trope that people hide behind but i'm not saying that but uh, like there there are ways in which like he has a particular understanding when he says that but that doesn't mean that that's the only understanding right. that you can come to the Bible so that's with. what we're we're trying to like one of the things we hopefully helping listeners with is this this, I don't know that it's entirely new, but I think we see it more now where people move from one denomination to the other or so. even from evangelical to mainline or from mainline to evangelical. Um, what's been your experience of that? Do you have friends, family members, yourselves that you, you know, um, uh, I help at the church that you work at, Amanda, and also at United Church. And mm-hmm. those, those are on different, different expressions to some degree or different sides of that line. Um, what about you guys? Have you seen friends, family members who are part of a tradition now that they would never have thought they would be before? Yeah, I mean, I, I know some people, like people that I grew up with in the Presbyterian Church who are now at Baptist churches or right. um, non-denominational or things like that. And so I've even heard people express as much as they love the place that they've landed, they miss the liturgy um, yeah. or, you know, certain pieces, but they still love the place where they are. Yeah. Um, where there was a time where it was like you identified as Presbyterian or you identified as whatever, and that's just the place you were and that's the place you stay and 
Yeah. Um, that it, it's changed, I think. And I, and for myself, like my, my family, we grew up Baptist and we went to the same church that my grandparents went to and my uncle and his family went to. So there was like the entire family was in this one place. Um, and it wasn't until people kind of like the children kind of grew up or moved away or several of them probably wouldn't, um, profess Christian faith anymore. Um, I don't think I could call myself a Baptist anymore. I certainly don't believe in in some of what I was taught were tenets of that understanding. Um, but I mean, my parents are still Baptist, and um, well, and you find yourself in an educational setting, going to Vancouver School <laughs> of Theology, uh, going to like Anglican chapel services, oh yeah, or two. So it's very different than no, and it's one of those things where, um, like the religious the religious culture that I grew up in did not. And again, I'm, I'm not necessarily ascribing like some nefarious intent to this, but like you didn't stray beyond the walls of that church even really. Um, and yeah, so that's pretty extreme, mm, right? And mm-hmm. so I didn't, I didn't know how kind of isolated, mm-hmm. like we didn't do a lot of ecumenical things. We did, we certainly didn't do things with people outside of the Baptist denomination really, um, and we didn't even really do stuff within the Baptist denominations. Yeah, so that's, um, that does feel extreme. Like when and I grew your up in the Presbyterian Church, was the Presbyterian Church. You did connect with other Presbyterians. Oh, yeah, you had we much had, more kind of like relationship with people. Like I didn't know had, people in other churches. We had PYPS, the Presbyterian Young People Society. Right. Oh my goodness, um, you guys and all of your organizations. We love societies. They love societies. So that's Presbyterian <laughs> uh, churches across the country. Uh, yeah. So um, twice a year from across the province, a bunch of youth would get together because in some small rural communities, there'd be like one youth at the church. (laughs) And so that afforded them an opportunity to be with a bunch of people their age and worship together or do whatever. Um, And then every few years across the country, there would be a gathering of Presbyterian young people. Big deal. Oh yeah. Yeah. They'd meet in St. Catharines at a university. So like, yes, there was certainly, um, lots of different churches getting together, but still within the Presbyterian framework. There were also, I do, I'm aware of some churches, even in the lower mainland that just didn't participate. Even though they were Presbyterian churches, they were part of the synod. They were part of presbytery. They didn't really go outside of, we don't do that thing. Mm -hmm. But that's changed. I think a lot. Like one of the other places that I work um, with Ross, actually our guest (laughs) who we're (laughs) going to listen to in a moment. um, A lot of the work that they do around church planting is definitely not within the confines of the Presbyterian tradition. It's across the lines. Very mm-hmm. much so. There's evangelical churches that are attending some of those conferences. There's United, there's CRC, there's uh, just a bunch of different. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, for for myself, like, there's, there's part where growing up in kind of the religious setting that I did, like, in, in my family, how we operated, like, there, there wasn't really, there wasn't, conversations about going to a different denomination or what that like it was just presumed like this is this is what we are we're baptists and there's part where even within that and and we speak about this with ross that um sometimes the crossing of that line either from kind of evangelicalism into mainline sort of churches or the other way around that that can be really tense in families um and there's part where my my grandfather my grandfather was pretty conservative, um, very conservative actually. Um, 
And, and so conversations, I don't even know how I would talk to him now about kind of where I've landed spiritually. I don't know that he, I think it would be really distressing. Like, hmm. like he, he passed a number of years ago before I kind of made some of these really big shifts in, in my understanding and started attending VST and stuff. In some ways, I, I think it would have been incredibly distressing to him watching my faith journey, which is really hard for hmm. me to think about. Because well. I... I like a number of my cousins, um, although we kind of came from quote unquote like a like a Christian family, a number of them uh I don't think would would claim Christian faith, some of them certainly. Um but I think that me moving um left, becoming progressive, becoming whatever, I think in some ways I think that would have been more painful for him as a grandparent than with some of my cousins who have chosen to walk away from Christianity entirety, entirely. I think it would have been more difficult for him to understand my journey than, than theirs. Um, and it's, it's hard when you feel like you don't have the place to have those conversations. Like, it, I think it would have been more upsetting for him than it would be for me, because him, him being conservative doesn't threaten my faith in any way, or my understanding of faith. That's interesting. Sorry, Amanda. Well, I was more musing, kind of musing out loud. Like, I As think, we do. Um, so much of your example, like, the church that you came from, and these, like, they're, they are extreme examples. And so I funny, don't know, I like, how common is that? Like, I as much as I kind that. of... <laughs> no, and as much as it, you know, I kind of feel a bit of grief for what you're experiencing and how I that conversation would go with people. your grandfather, but... I, I do wonder culturally now, is that representative of a lot of people? And I, I don't know. I kind of hope cer- that it's not. Me too. Um, so we'll move to, it's yeah. certainly representative of some. Yeah. And I think the, for those who are listening, you know, whatever kind of experience you have with this, where there there's like baggage or cost or, you know, a feeling of threat or whatever in, in, seeing things differently or changing from one tradition to another. I also notice it, one of the ways I notice it, because I love the Presbyterian Church and the United Church and evangelical churches. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes, like, I was at a Presbyterian Church not that long ago, and they were talking about PYPS and stuff, actually, and somebody had made the point that, like, they're a generation away from from a denomination not existing. If you you don't have young people that identify by the denomination, mm-hmm. you won't have a denomination. So you're always yeah. a generation away. And so I kind of feel for that. At the same time, I think there's something positive in the fact that these lines are blurred now and something positive for faith. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So thanks so much for chatting. Sorry, you had one more thing. Well, yeah, I was just going to say like, and one of the things, and, and Ross does say this in our interview and probably will phrase it better than I can. Um, one of the things that I found very interesting is although there were certainly a lot of people from my 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 faith tradition growing up who kind of didn't know what to do with me when I started to to move uh left I for lack of a better term we'll just call it that um like that was a long time ago there's people who have probably Mm -hmm. made their own movements Mm -hmm. there are people who probably have more nuance than maybe they did at one point or and I even think of this in terms with my grandpa although that like I kind of assume that he would have I kind of go Maybe I would have been surprised. Yeah. yeah, I think that's important. And I want to leave space for that. There's the time has elapsed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nice way to end, mm-hmm. and uh, we're pleased to have Ross with us. So Absolutely. thank you both so much. 
So we're so pleased to be joined by Ross Lockhart. There's probably other titles there. Um, and Amanda Minas got a mic as well. Greetings. Hi, I do. And Allison Hello. as well. Allison Williams. Ross has, has many has titles. Hooray. Ross has many titles. <laughs> I've called many things, some of them unflattering, um, but Ross not is, in this company. Most of them flattering. Indeed. Indeed. Ross is, as this is like the parlance now, right? Ooh. Friend of the podcast. You know how he's the friend <laughs> of the show? I love being a friend of this um, podcast. Friend of the nation, Indeed. that kind of thing they say. Um, we now a state nation. Uh, Ross is also... Dean of St. Andrews Hall in Vancouver and Professor of Mission Studies at Vancouver School of Theology. And Ross is, could we use the word prolific yet? Maybe not yet, because mm, you still have some in you. Too soon. So Ross is the author of multiple books. The most recent, he's co-author of Christianity and Asian Religion in Vancouver, co-author of a book called Better Than Brunch, and uh, author of a book called is it called Christian Witness in Cascadia? Yeah, that's an edited volume. That's an edited volume. Mm-hmm. Now tell me one or two other books because you have more. There's um, more. Lessons from Laodicea, Missional right. Leadership oh, and in St. Patrick's. And the uh, yeah, Beyond one. Snakes and Shamrocks, Missional Leadership's from St. <sighs> Patrick's Ministry. And now we know Ross. All of us here know <laughs> if Ross. If that's not obvious to listeners, and know it's very how casual. much Ross travels. Holy uh, oh cow. It's all for Jesus. <laughs> all for Jesus. Because it's... Uh, uh, I think some of it's for the Presbyterian Church. It, right? and, <laughs> it's possible. And the Presbyterian. And because you'll thing. see Ross is in Halifax this weekend and then Hamilton, Hamilton, <laughs> and then, and he always is happy to be there, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> according to the Pope's. That's what Facebook says <laughs> so anyway. So good to be in this place this morning. It only took me 17 hours to get to church. Um, and, uh, it's quite the but, commitment. Uh, you, there, you have a very busy schedule. A full schedule, I should say. Busy is a pejorative word sometimes, but uh, uh, but I get the sense that you enjoy what you do. I do very much. I yeah. feel blessed to be doing what I'm so doing. So here's the context of us inviting Ross to come and speak with us right now. You just arrived back from a big conference, mm-hmm. a big annual meeting that is called AARSBL. So I know that all of our listeners know that. If any it? listener... like. If a listener pauses it right now and can like get information to us what they think that is and they're correct, we'll give them some sort of prize. A R S B L. I bet if you even Total Googled honor system, AAR, you might not get the first hit. <laughs> yeah, it sounds this. like a nickname or something, some sort of code, kid yeah, code or something to get into uh, a tree fort. So it actually, in this context, means, and I hope I'm getting this correct, the American Academy of Religion. Correct. And the Society for Biblical Literature. Well done, sir. Very good. Thank you for joining us for this episode. (laughs) Here's why we want to talk to you about it, because um, I have noticed in my work in and around the church, um, and I know you've noticed the same given some much of your writing, and this kind of one of the lines of division or one of the more rigid lines has been between what's been called mainline and then... on the other side of that being understood as evangelical. So that's what we're here to talk about because we think many of our listeners, some of our listeners have kind of crossed that line in a way that they might not have anticipated at a previous time (laughs) in their life. Someone was going to an evangelical church and now they're going to United Church Mm -hmm. or something like that or the other way around happens as well. And we thought that you're a good person to speak about some of these changes and transitions so welcome hey great to have you here thank you for making time for us and your very full schedule it's such a pleasure it's good to be back with all of you and and you're an islander now i am an islander yes uh living on bowen island beautiful bowen island so just we gotta arrange some like evening drinks on your deck it looks amazing it is a lovely home
home, and it's just a great vibe on the island. Grew up on the prairies where people actually like talk to each other, and so <laughs> Bowen's like that. Like you can actually oh, I'm really? confused. Talk That's to people. That's too close to Vancouver for people to it behave is, like that. It is. It is. I kind of put on my Vancouver face when I get <laughs> off the ferry, <laughs> speak to no one, except oddly thank the bus driver that is unknown, yes. but never speak to someone beside so you. So do you you take a car onto the ferry and drive to? I, most days I walk on, there's a parking in the village and then you walk on and then take two buses to UBC, which oh, when wow. I lived in North Van, it was two buses. So it's same kind of, same kind so of it's deal. not that much longer than living in North Van, but it is a no. significant commute. Yeah, it it's is. it's worth it for the trade-off. I, I, yeah, except I've always been committed to redeeming the commute. So, you know, reading, clearing yeah. emails, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I find it, um, and then you kind of decompress as you're, as you're going home. Very so, interesting. Yeah, so far so good. It's been nice. So in terms of our conversation around mainline mm-hmm. slash evangelical, give us a sense of your denominational background and your experience like growing up. Yeah. Your sense of... Awesome. So uh, born and raised on the prairies and uh, my parents had a Presbyterian background. My mom came to faith in a small Baptist church, but then was, um, she grew up in an atheist household, came to faith as a child. And uh, then uh, when that church closed, actually, she moved over to her friend's church, which was a Presbyterian church. So she was raised Presbyterian. My dad was Irish uh, Presbyterian background. That was the family history. And uh, then when um, I was born, they moved to a neighborhood where the closest church was a very large um, uh, United Church. Mm -hmm. So I was raised in the United Church, and it was a wonderful congregation. And, um, you know, our our, uh, minister had a PhD from Church of Scotland, and it was, you know, that kind of end of Christendom, the fumes of mm. Christendom you could sniff in the air, still full mm-hmm. churches, Sunday schools divided by grades, all that kind of stuff. Full, <laughs> sorry, this was a United Church? It was, yeah. So mm-hmm. full United Church. Like, Absolutely. Ah, yeah. Ah. Yeah, it was just, yeah, it was kind of like Diary of a Wimpy Kid when they go to church and it's full kind of thing. It had that kind of vibe to it. And it was a wonderful church and a great place to grow up. Felt a call to ministry, studied at U of T, was ordained and served in congregations from coast to coast. And then in second half of, of my season of ministry, I've been in the Presbyterian Church in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, both So in a way back to roots. Yeah, in many ways. Roots. That's yeah. right. And then uh, so uh, both, of course, teaching at the college, but then also involved in local churches, preaching regularly and helping now, to lead. Now, for listeners who don't know, and many would, so mm-hmm. indulge us in this, those who are listening, um, it's not always an accurate term, or it's interesting how it gets used. But so, give us a sense, your sense of what most people think like mainline means yeah. as as compared to say evangelical, because that is a line for many people. There's like, you know, the the mainline church and the evangelical church. So explain a little bit of that to us. Yeah, that's so good. So um, I would say most people could care less would be my starting place. Like if you think of your affable agnostic neighbor in Vancouver, they wouldn't care. They don't what, even know that. They, they wouldn't even. So it's, so first of all, I'd say it's an in-house distinction. Yeah. Fair. Uh, it's very important to some people that are it, like, it, that are oh, in. Ooh. Oh, no, no. But I, people I don't outside wanna, of Christianity. A hundred percent. They're all the same, right? No. Well, and so exactly kind of, oh, you're just Christian. And I think, I think we see that actually in the 2021 census results around um, Christian identification in Canada and the growing category of just Christian. Right. I think more and more people are not identifying if if they even choose to check the religion column as uh, having a Christian faith, more and more people are leaning towards saying, I, I don't identify with a particular denomination. Huh. Um, but uh, in short, I would say if you were a church plant out of a state church in Europe, 
you identify yourself as mainline Protestant in North America. Out right? of a state church Correct. in Europe. So if you're Lutheran, you were Scandinavian yeah. or German. If you're Presbyterian, you were Church of Scotland. Yeah. If you're Anglican, Church of England, yeah. and, 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 right? Uh, Methodist, not state church, but it was a breakaway from a state church, right? Okay. So what about United? In, in Canada, that's slightly different history, right? Uh, different history, but not the foundations, right? So, so Presbyterian... Uh, and Methodist yeah. would have had state church support. And then, of course, Congregationalists were the kind of Puritan roots, yeah. and so nonconformist in that sense. Uh, and then a merger of those three, three-quarters of Presbyterians in 1925 with the Methodists and Congregationalists. So Presbyterians, Methodists, uh, most Presbyterians, mm-hmm. Methodists, and Congregationalists, which was a smaller portion of that. Right. Uh, and there's, merged mo- and there's and one more that, that is distinctively Canadian that people forget. And Phyllis Earhart's book, of course, uh, is the best one to read on this, uh, Church with the Soul of the Nation. Um, but uh, there were across the prairies a distinctively Canadian movement where you had settlers arriving and saying, what are you? You're Baptist? What are you? You're Anglican? What are you? You're Methodist? Ah, let's just build one union church. Uh, so there was actually a fourth partner that is rarely talked about, mm. and they were called union churches. Mm. And there's some here in the Vancouver area uh, as well that were founded as union churches. And so that was an early way of saying, let's just blend the denominations. What's important is that we have Christianity as the core. And that's what's become the United Church in Canada. Yeah, as we would understand it today. The Union Church didn't become the United Church. Did no, they? So they, they were a partner for Union. Okay. And I don't want to misrepresent. They were a fourth partner in this merger. Correct. Mm. And then the Evangelical, United Evangelical Brethren uh, joined in the 60s for the United Church as well. Which is why they're called United. Yeah. They and of course, as you know, in the 60s, almost, almost, the Anglicans and Uniteds merged again. Did they? They almost, or not again, but they almost merged. So, so then you still have the uh, Presbyterian Church in Canada. Yes. So that would be the remnant of those Presbyterian that did not take take part, part That's in this correct. merger. That's correct, in 1925, and their status was uncertain until 39, when um, Mackenzie King, who is a standout uh, Presbyterian, did not go into union, and Prime Minister kind of stick-handled a bill through Parliament to allow the Presbyterians to continue using the name. Okay. Mm. Isn't this great? I, I mean, I'm... I'm a theology student, so I think this is all very yeah, history. <laughs> so your I average, mean, I'm not, but I'm, I'm still interested. Your average or Amanda's board. So we no, go. No, no. no, I love we it. We go into people's church experience in the last few decades, or even the last five, ten years, and people either go to a United Church. Uh, so most people would think of mainline as like Presbyterian, United, mm-hmm. Anglican, mm-hmm. maybe Lutheran, but yeah. I think they think that is like a, this not as doesn't come to mind right away for <laughs> right. most people if they're not <laughs> Poor Lutheran. Lutherans. Yeah. Um, so Presbyterian, Anglican, United, mm-hmm. but then now Anglican has broken up as well. It has. So you have kind of this Anglican um, diocese or mm-hmm. uh, portion of that that denomination that has stayed more identified with the mainline. Right. And then you have these breakaway Anglican churches, right? You right. you know about that, obviously. So what can you tell us about that? Yeah, and so that's around the human sexuality Usually issue. I mean, issue. if we're going to reduce it kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think what's fair to say is any denomination has breakaway elements. Yeah. And so, as we know, in the last 30 years plus... Um, the question around uh, human sexuality has been a divisive one within uh, many um, denominations. Uh, I say many because there are some that still just won't engage yeah. the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in the States, for example, PCUSA, the largest Presbyterian, Presbyterian church, church, had a breakaway yeah. called ECO. 
um, the Anglican Church of Canada. There were some parishes that left and formed uh, Anic and so forth. And now these are, as you've just identified, mm. the more conservative elements right. break away in the mainline tradition mm-hmm. from what they consider has become too liberal. Right. I think. I think. Yeah, that's a, f- a fair way to kind of summarize it. Right. Yeah, there would be other yeah, other sure. reasons and so yeah. forth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, so let's go to this line between. So, uh, so you've outlined mainline for us. Yeah. What traditionally in Canada is is considered evangelical, the other side of that line? Yeah, so I mean, a, a number of the evangelical churches would look to, they, they often have places that they point to revival for their history, whether it's Great Awakening in the States, um, you know, you have Azusa Street for Pentecostals, um, and so there's um, there's a history. And then, of course, the Baptist tradition has a very long established, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know about your experience, but... Many of my Baptist friends often feel a little bit between worlds, mm-hmm. depending on you depends know, on what part of the Baptist church they are exactly yeah. right. You know, yeah. so it depends on the, on you know yeah. who they belong to, and so forth. you go to a Yorkminster Park Baptist in Toronto, and it's like High Church Baptist. Right. And you hardly even recognize right. it. As, There's as, High Church Baptist. There, well, you'll have to go. I next didn't time even know that existed. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but yes, yeah, so so the evangelical expression, you know, would would certainly be distinct in their own understanding from mainline Christian yeah. as. Um, uh, a more kind of conservative expression. Yeah. I mean, all these labels are, of course, fraught. Yeah, they they fit to a point. Yeah, but yeah. if we're just trying to do a kind of a simple sketch of the land, yeah, and yeah. then you'd have, of course, uh, just an explosion of different uh, evangelical Protestant denominations and right. some that don't belong to denomination often, but not always um, more congregationalist in their expression without right. as much kind of structure over time. So you get a group like the group that I was uh, a minister in a church for years with these roots, the Plymouth Brethren. Right, yeah. Um, big connections to places like Regent College in Vancouver sure. and other places that, that largely has dissipated the Plymouth Brethren movement. Mm-hmm. They never wanted to be known as a denomination, but right. they started as a breakaway from the Anglican church. Yeah. So a number of Anglican ministers in, in the UK. Yeah. Um, not that long ago in terms of Christian history, what? early 1800s, something like that. Sure. Getting it right. Um, and then they start this movement that, but the roots of some of those things then come to, at times, identify themselves against the thing they came from. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you've got um, various traditions in the evangelical uh, background yeah. that look at those mainline traditions that were often their roots right. or they had a similar root. Yeah, good. Um, and they say, we're not that. Yeah. That's right. So how do you experience that today? You're yeah. working at a school at Vancouver mm-hmm. School of Theology. You're dean at St. Andrew's Hall, which is the Presbyterian College, that's basically right. there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's traditionally thought of as mainline. Yeah. And yet there are many ways in which you work across that line of division. Yeah. So how do you think this this is experienced now in kind of the Christian church as people go from place to place. Yeah, I mean, I think one example would be that, uh, you know, often when you speak to missionaries in that classic sense, um, you know, folks from the West who have been sent somewhere else around the world to tell people about Jesus, um, they'll speak in terms of uh, a new ecumenical spirit on the mission field, right? That where back home, they would so have... So ecumenical mm, being people are working across, across lines. these across, lines. Yeah. Across lines, because you find yourself in a new context. I think in a very basic summary way, that's what we are experiencing now, is that with an increase of secularization 
and um, a rapid decline of health and strength in a number of expressions of Christianity that you see um, kind of a crossing over, at least around leadership, crossing mm-hmm. over, um, you know, between uh, denominations and the way people uh, identify. It's not as easy to put people in kind of yeah. slots anymore. And then when you get to a membership base, that's all over the map, mm-hmm. right? People will move, you know, and, and even the last few years of congregational ministry before I went full-time to college, you know, you would you would hear people's stories as, as they would arrive, and they have been in multiple denominations over mm. the course of their lifetime. And really different. And really different. And so that I think that is a change. It used to be that whole families would be identified, yeah. which is why, like you know, back briefly to that 1925 church union debate and so forth, why it was so divisive was because it was literally tearing families apart. Mm. Where now, I mean, if someone wants to, um, you know, leave uh, the Alliance Church and go to the neighboring Pentecostal church, they might say, oh, it's too bad. We don't go to the same church, but, you know, come on over for dinner. Right. You know, I, I, you know, there are always going to be exceptions, but I, it's not to the same degree, you know, do you drive a Ford or do you drive a Toyota? <laughs> you know, like it's, it's kind of that sense of the brand loyalty is not inculcated in the same way because we just don't have the pews well, repopulated. It's interesting themselves. how some of this relates to cultural background, race, whatever. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to an older gentleman that was part of the church I was pastor of for years. Wonderful man. Like, just deep, humble faith. Mm-hmm. Very Plymouth brethren in his background, but yeah. I always loved talking to him because he stretched, he reached, yeah. he was interested in change, mm-hmm. and, you know, he died almost 100 years old. Mm. Um, and he was one, in some ways, of the most, like, forward-looking people yeah. in the church. But so we did this little montage video of him toward the end of his life, like, you know, we do this and introduce so-and-so at the church and like a friend of mine who does some video production did this lovely black and white thing and with this man's voice and it was already kind of like that old, you yeah. know, and, and he's like, over there, that's where the Irish lived. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's got like this corner and, and that also would have like the racial kind of oh, uh, national background denominational kind yes. of thing. And so as that's dissipated across the board, yeah. it's interesting how that, having said that, and now we'll get to AAR in just a minute, yeah. but, mm-hmm. um, I know, and I think we all do around this table here, people that I love and even respect um, who have left a mainline church or traditionally mainline church, gone to an evangelical church with the words, uh, the church I was part of, it's just no longer even Christian. Mm. And I have to go over here. Right. I've seen the same Same move the other way. Yeah, yeah. In fact, into maybe the same church. You have a person leaving an evangelical church going, this just doesn't align with my sense of faith i yeah. i don't even like i don't even see it as christian yeah um so and then i'd add one more i'd say those who remain in the church often um feel they are the faithful remnant and anyone who leaves them mm-hmm. is uh of uh. uh of you know questionable morals values beliefs and so forth which is from also both camps a hundred percent i mean it's I a way of strengthening that like yeah. as like the the church that I grew up in was quite a conservative Baptist church. I don't think that I knew that it was conservative Baptist when I was in it. I kind of only of realized that yeah, once I was just outside. Fish in the water. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there was a lot of people that as I questioned and came to understandings of faith or doctrines that were different than what I was taught. Like I was a heretic. Mm-hmm. I was definitely like there was concern, there was also suspicion. Cuz you may have crossed some line that is just like yeah. Well, just like you're saying. Yeah. No, it's it like happens. This. The, that's a curious thing. And I think even as we express it here, 
it is something to lament over and mm-hmm. mourn that I, you know, it's one thing for people to have positions on issues and stuff. Sure. We understand that, but that you are literally looking across at the other st- thing saying that is not Christian. Mm-hmm. Now, I can understand some reasons for doing that one way or the other, but it's just something that in our faith, because I've been part of United churches that often have certainly from more evangelical understanding thrown at them. Like when I was part of the Plymouth Brethren church, pastoring in a church that had that heritage, it would have been assumed by very many people that United church is not Christian Mm. and, and they would be thought of as non-believers effectively, sometimes maybe worse than non-believers because Mm. they think they're believers. Yeah. It's kind of the bounded set, centered set. Kind and of yeah, and then you can too, have right? it go We're, the other way. draw a line from and say the, from, yeah, from, whoever it is, right. if they don't adhere to this same and, belief And mainline can sometimes think that about evangelical. Oh, can sure. think, yeah. well, at least we're not them. Absolutely. And that's part of the, the question of how do you identify? You know, it, it's uh, Mary Jo Letty, famous yeah. Roman Catholic um, nun uh, who teaches at U of T. I remember being in one of her classes years ago. Mm-hmm. And she said that she longed for Christians to express um, themselves based on what they were for and not against. Mm -hmm. But too often as Christians, all we do is express what we're against. And that's including how Christians refer to themselves versus other other churches, other traditions, and so forth. And I know it sounds pretty churchy to say this, but it's more something I feel in faith, is I think it's a wonder and a growth point or a consolation and a forward-looking thing to go and see that you can encounter Jesus, meet Jesus to make it more churchy Mm. in those places that you had assumed you wouldn't. Sure. Or that were the other side or were the, now for some of us, we do, we come from an evangelical background. We do Mm. more work with yourself and others who are more associated with mainline, but some of your work in your books and Mm -hmm. other places are, some of that writing is addressing some of the kind of excess within the main line saying yeah. like, let's keep our eyes on Jesus here. Right. 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 Do, yeah. you, do you feel that to some degree? Very much. And, and I think I'm just kind of ecumenically wired too, in the sense of that I'm always interested where God is at work beyond where I am circulating. And I never assume that what I see is the full story and maybe it comes down to particular theology of revelation. I just, I, I think mm. that God is free to work wherever God wants to work. And so I think, especially in my, in my work as a missiologist, mm-hmm. uh, I'm keen to, to, and it comes down to my own reflexivity. I, I can easily say, Oh, I think this is where God is working. And then God pops up over here kind of thing. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's always uh, having kind of a humble posture mm-hmm. of, of wondering where God is at work and listening carefully to how people describe. And that's different than saying, Everyone has the same theology or it's all good theology. No, there's some really bad theology. Yeah. And your podcast and does a places. wonderful job of trying to move us towards more hopeful expression of Christian faith. But nevertheless, you can you can discern the movement of God in multiple places because God's at work in everyone's life, right? And so at and least I that's think a there is this, I have. There is this, and I experience this more in the evangelical church, so then you sometimes knee-jerk react against the thing that you were most familiar with, so I'm yeah. aware of that. But I know that it can take place in mainline as well and other places. That part of the problem, I think, comes from the assumption that like we own Jesus in mm-hmm. this place. Sure. We're, we're the we're the ones there. Yeah, I certainly saw that in the evangelical church. That like he's he's in our camp. Yeah. And, oh yeah. Well, sure. People and that's just, just not. There's also the tendency sometimes, and I've only seen it in some fairly you know more extreme examples, but where Jesus doesn't matter, mm-hmm. and and I think that 
if you think that way, that's fine, but yeah. it's not by definition like Christian, right. <laughs> like right. Jesus Christ. It's not, you know. Yeah. So there's all those things that matter. So now you just got back from AARSPL, which mm. we told people what that was. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing this giant religious familiar. trade show. Wow, that's that's a great. Like I've been image. to Mission Fest. I know. And I yes. love walking Merch? through the booth t- yeah. thing at Missions Fest because I'm just like, take a trade show and make it religious, and Ooh. that would be awesome. You know, uh, the very little religious merchandise. I think there were oh. only a couple of stands selling religious uh, wear. Uh, it so it would be um, kind of the largest annual gathering of scholars of religion in North America. Uh, including those who teach in confessional schools that I'll call seminaries. So okay. with a church specific church attachment or those teaching religious studies in a public mm-hmm. university. Um, as so when well you say as, American Academy of Religion, that doesn't mean exclusively Christian at this point. Then. Correct. So uh, it is a uh, multi-faith. I, I would say by observation, it would be a majority Christian, right. but uh, scholars of religion of, of all kind. And then the way, and Todd, I know you've had a chance to look at kind of the different um, sessions, sessions such, and yeah. so forth. There are different units yeah. that you kind of break down. So as a missiologist, I'd spend time, for example, in the practical theology unit, um, attended, um, there's a, a unit that's been around for almost, I think, 20 years uh, that Daryl Guter was quite instrumental ah. in starting called the Missional Hermeneutics uh, okay. Unit. So uh, scholars um, looking at scripture and how to read it through a missional lens. Right. Um, so you kind of, in that sense, you pick and choose. And then there's like interreligious units. Mm-hmm, absolutely. There are, there's, there was one, um, some of the sessions I saw on like um, Buddhist Christian studies, kind of the right. interplay there, which mm-hmm. there is a lot of interplay. I saw one on like food and interreligious dialogue. Yeah. Like, so some get very specific. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So lots of papers. Pres- are there like keynote presentations as well? Or no? So um, pr- th- there are some uh, limited keynotes, but it's primarily you pick the unit and then you can see on your app, like these are the four papers or, oh, okay. or, or there'll be a presenter and responders and that kind of thing. And then there's workshops as well. Like, you know, f- so in the work that I do, um, on the Friday, I just delighted in there's an ethnography and theology workshop mm. that was fabulous. Former colleague from VST, Sarah Johnson, who's mm. now at St. Paul's, oh, nice. was part of that. And it was just delightful. And so, I mean, you kind of find your corner and you geek out, right? <laughs> and so I was just like geeking out a lot. Um, and then there's friends that you see. And the, the trade show part that is delicious is imagine a massive room full of theology books and all the major publishers uh, are there. And so you get to network with um, with editors, but then also just spend a lot of money on books because there's you, big Do you bring discounts. an empty suitcase with the intention of filling it with books, Ross? I choose not to answer that question. Okay. Um, but I don't I'll mean to rat is, you out to anybody. All, all I'll say is maybe. Perhaps. Yes, <laughs> indeed. One indeed. could. Yeah. So your experience there is primarily a positive one. I, I would say so. Here's what I would say about, about my experience is that um, it's so big and it's so broad that when you go drill into your own little section, you probably, if you attended, a, you know, for example, the American um, Society of uh, Missiology, uh, you know, you would have a lot more options to choose from because it's it's one conference or one society gathering just, just of the that. area, oh, okay. right? So you kind of get a little bit of the brewery sample pack mm-hmm. uh, right across the board. Um, but certainly whatever discipline you're in, there's more than enough to cover you off. 
but it is it's just massive right just thousands so of it's people. not like kitschy like kind of like it to disappoint you it's not kitschy. yeah no that doesn't yes. disappoint me well but i know you like some good christian well kitsch. it was in texas though it was in Texas. So you had some... There was lots of kitsch around, should one okay. choose to. <laughs> should you choose to But engage. not as part of the actual conference. Now, back to our original kind of delineation. Mm-hmm. My sense of the American Academy of Religion, because when I was part of like the evangelical church, Plymouth Brethren background type stuff, those kinds of conferences, especially ecumenical things, mm-hmm. or they, they would be considered to be part of the kind of like they're not suspicious. really Christian Christian yeah. thing. Right. So it is not so much evangelical in, in that line. You don't have a lot of, uh, or, or does the there, scholarship reach across those lines? It tries to. What I'd okay. say is it tries to. So there's an evangelical studies unit as okay. part of the AAR um, that you can attend. And I was getting some updates from them. I didn't get to any of their lectures this time. Um, but yeah, so, but I think I, I know what you mean. And there's that sense of probably there would be some who would choose not to participate because they feel like that's... Well, they see like Buddhist Christian studies and they go... Right, yeah. But, you know, um, if you're teaching theology or religion in North America in a respectable institution, this would be the place to go. So So this is more professors, teachers, academics than pastors church leaders yeah some pastors a lot of phd uh right. students um so like i went to the um pcusa prayer breakfast the american presbyterian prayer breakfast for seminaries mm-hmm. and but there were some pastors there who we all went around and introduced ourselves and you know i'm just down the road in texas but i wanted to attend and you know that kind of thing so but certainly not like you know when i think about in the homiletics world in which um in earlier years of my academic life i spent more time in there was the festival Festival of homiletics for pastors. The big, festival oh, of homiletics. Oh yeah, wow, big big that's gathering. Quite the term big gathering. That just and then a much smaller academy, academy of homiletics for those who okay. teach. Who preaching. wants academy when you can have festival? Uh, it's true. It's true. I, I feel like yeah. there's a branding problem. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's just the career that I came from, but I hear things like festival or yeah. academy of. Religion, yeah. blah blah blah. Yeah. Is there an award show at the end? Wouldn't that be fabulous? Right? Doesn't there it should feel be? Okay. Should be so I did You're going to make one? On the first day, I was getting a sandwich at like the takeout counter, and there was a guy dressed like Jesus. What? Who came in? Are you sure like, it wasn't him? Well, <laughs> amen to that. And he was. You never will know. Well, he was calling everyone bro, which was awesome. Oh. Uh, amazing. And so, but you know, I've been to these kind of gatherings where sometimes you get so the street preachers who are, yeah, yeah, who are like protesting or whatever. The other uh, thing yeah. was, uh, this was taking place with thousands of people at AARSBL. And at the same time, the San Antonio uh, Auto Show was on. And I just thought if they could combine them, they could call it Jesus Take the Wheel. And I was uh, just so oh wanting that. I think we have a new book. Thank you. Thank I know. You, Ross. I know. I All actually right, mentioned so that. on the nominating committee yes, for the awards next year, Ross yes. wins. I, yeah. I mentioned that to someone and they didn't laugh and I thought you are welcome here. It's, yeah. it's not that we kind of conference. Rot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was on my best behavior. Academics. Yeah. <laughs> um, the I have two more questions because I know your time and the one is um, I would imagine that a place like AAR Society for Biblical Literature as well SBL mm-hmm. uh, grapples to some degree with the ending of the finish of what are, you know uh, Christendom mm, yeah because they would have come from that tradition many of these schools yeah. were started in in Christendom for yes. sure you had so I would imagine that some of the books and that is part of your writing yeah. as well yeah. um, were not in Christendom anymore mm-hmm. certainly Daryl Guder who comes yeah. right out and says like thanks be to God that Christendom is done because mm-hmm. now maybe we can actually uh, you know 
have mission and witness mm-hmm. and to something other than you know societal domination of some kind. So how how did you see that grappling, whether in your work or in mm-hmm. your experience there? Because you must find company with other people who are grappling with the things that you're writing about, yeah. but from a different context. Very much, yeah. And so so and maybe it's just the circles that I hang out in mission studies right. and so forth that uh, but you know, um, being able to meet with fellow missiologists for whom this is this is bread and butter issues, uh, understanding gospel and culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only um, maybe critique would be that it still exists within the traditional framework of the academy. Right. Uh, so while so like these how it's funded yeah, yeah so uh, so while these uh, changes are noted and written on and lectures given they're still in the side corners yeah. uh, did you hear so and so made full professor no no right. you know so there's <laughs> still that academic ecclesiastical like corporate ladder yeah. which is super cheesy of course right but because um, Jesus doesn't really care uh, but but you so so there's that sense of we're, we're attending but we're still wanting to remain within structure right. and there's an like ecclesial you're dean now yeah, yeah. Ooh, wow yeah. yeah and so like uh, and there's an ecclesial equivalent to that as well right that sure. that you, you church I want to get the bigger church or whatever yeah. you know that yeah, kind yeah. of thing so it's not I'm not just calling out the academy on that but what I'm saying is you can be attending to change and critiquing what's going on while still being promoted within the traditional yeah. structures even as those structures are dying right mm. so. but that's interesting that from within those structures themselves are the remnants of them yeah there is talk about what it means to move beyond those structures, even as they still exist to some degree. I think so. Yeah, yeah that, I, think, I so. think that's a curious kind of thing. So last question then, um, what are some of your hopes for Christian faith in regards to this um, division that we've identified, which is real and not real? What are some of your hopes for Christian faith in regards to the mainline evangelical divide? Yeah, yeah. Well, I commend you for the work that you're doing. I love listening to your podcasts, and you've been early... Uh, early on, I think about your first two or three podcasts, you were wanting to kind of find this middle space and this hopeful theology. And, mm-hmm. and I think you do see people coming towards that. I, I think who shows up at the party maybe surprises people sometimes, mm-hmm. to That's your well point, put. right? And so um, the old division of, oh, if you are part of this church, it means this or that. That's just kind of melting away. And we even, of course, we found that in our research for the the book on Asian Christianity in Mm. Vancouver, that denominational identity meant very little. Like people were so pleased. Oh, you you know, we have the Chinese Baptist Church or the Korean United or whatever. But then the next month they would be at another church with another denomination Mm. on it. But it was still the same ethnicity, right? So loyalty Mm. was to ethnicity rather than to denomination. I think That's more broadly what we're seeing now is that um, loyalty is very thin to denomination. Um, you will still have some people for whom that is a really important identifier, but there's more that sense of fit and belonging and does this place reflect my values and uh, what is the impact on the broader community. I think people are, are asking deeper questions about what it means to belong than right. simply mm-hmm. my family is blank. So that's, well, that's, that's how I identify. I, I think we're, as always, we're in the midst of change. So it's yeah. not clean. It's not clear. Um, but I, when I think about the conversations I have, you know, the people who are taking faith seriously, hmm. it's rarely tied to, oh, am I still within the boundaries yeah. of my denomination? No, no, like that's not even, you know, almost, almost like um, to be edgy 70 years ago, 75 years ago would be say, actually, I don't believe in God. 
where today it's like, yeah, great. You don't believe in God just like everyone else, right? right? It's, that's not edgy anymore. <laughs> so in the same way to, to, to say, actually, I, I, I find a lot in this tradition, this Christian tradition, let's just keep it within Christianity. I was raised in this tradition, but I really find now this, people aren't like doing the hand smack anymore, right? Like right. it's like, oh, well, tell me why you've kind of moved. I've seen that in my classroom. I've seen students move between traditions. Yeah, like here, here's what the Orthodox tradition says. Yeah. 30 years ago, you wouldn't. Yeah, I hear that in many of these. No, places. that's right. I was talking to a student the other day who's who's not Presbyterian uh, and was never Presbyterian and uh, started uh, their studies in one tradition and now they've moved into another Christian tradition. I said, "Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Tell me about that." And they narrated how that happened. Yeah. And so it's fascinating to see. So I think people are just more free. Uh, that sense of onus, no, you have to stay in a particular tradition. It's just not there anymore. There's something probably hopeful in that as we speak about faith, and for those of us who are interested, like faith in Jesus, Mm -hmm. such as that means, that, I mean, I sometimes joke, like there was a a Bible camp that was really associated with our church uh, years ago, still is, I guess, that that kind of Plymouth Brethren expression. Um, It's called Daybreak Point Bible Camp, and I used to joke that, like, I didn't accept Daybreak Point as my Savior and Lord, right? (laughs) right, Um, And similar things, like you, you don't accept a denomination as your savior and lord you don't and i so think we call could, it a cult actually if, yeah, it, if, just, if you can if you can be no great. but to be honest yeah. some, yes. sometimes some mm, denominations yeah, even mainline feels, the way people talk about their ethos mm. of a particular denomination you think uh are you trump card and jesus because that's that's idolatry right, right? Mm, and so. yet that's the positive um implication or possibility is it then becomes a prayer what would it mean to encounter Jesus in this in this tradition that is not my own? Mm-hmm. And there's a rich, rich possibility there. So it's almost a word yeah. to those who are listening who find themselves like you've been part of this whatever tradition for so long, mm-hmm. but you find yourself in this other expression now that that's okay, but it doesn't have to be protest right. necessarily. It doesn't right. have to be yeah. like, I'm doing this because that other thing was so terrible that I can't... Po-. It's like, yeah. you probably do better in your faith if you... If you make that move and that's fine, but yeah. you don't have to hate the thing you, you. Yeah, I think in terms of you can disassociate without uh, disregard or disgrace, right? So disgrace is often people put shame on someone for moving beyond a certain tradition or that you just have to chuck it all together. Yeah. And, and I don't think people are buying that anymore. I think that there's a, a sense of, you know, Christ has prayed that we would all be one. And so we see mm. beauty in a variety of expressions and that, you know, hopefully we have a sense of home and belonging within a particular tradition. Um, but that may shift and move over yeah. time as well. Well, thank you so much. As uh, as we close, I think there are little tags at times that are hard for people. So if you're listening, like in, in the traditions in which I'm familiar from mm. being younger and growing up in that, there was a certain way you became a Christian mm-hmm. and that was it. And that was a, almost a red flag that if you didn't do it this way, mm-hmm. then you're not really Christian. And I think some of that is is softening now. And I think mm-hmm. there's there's danger in that maybe to some degree for people, but there's also such a positive sense of like, oh, this person has a strong Christian faith, but they never got there the way you did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That there is a, so it, which again allows us to just be open to God's presence in those places. So Ross, thank you so much for your willingness to be with us, for Pleasure. your work, for your writing. Um we are happily like concerned is the wrong word. We just can't imagine all the stuff you do and how much, including coming here. And, it's all for Jesus. And it's, yeah, mostly for Jesus. Um, and, uh, and we're really appreciative. So keep Thanks. at it and we'll have you back as a friend of the show. So Thank good. you so I much. I look forward to it. Thanks everyone. Great to be with you. 
Rector's Cupboard is a production of Reflector Project and is hosted and produced by Todd Weeb, Allison Williams, and Amanda Mina. Our cupboard master is Ken Bell. Rector's Cupboard is made possible by the generous support of donors. Check out rectorscupboard.ca for past episodes, events, and how you can help fund the podcast. You can also support Rector's Cupboard by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which helps other people find us. Thanks for listening. Thank you.